pigs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the vengeful films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are doing, amazingly, our first made-for-television movie. And I say amazingly because I love made-for-TV movies. Um, But this one is an opportune film to watch during spooky season. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow from 1981. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1981's Dark Knight of the Scarecrow anywhere online. Uh, YouTube and Tubi both have restored versions, so they are HD remixed, I suppose, but this still looks like a film straight out of the 70s. Yeah, I mean, I was saying before we started recording that movies from the early 80s, like 81, 82, still feel like 70s movies to me. And same with 90s, like 91, 92 still feel like 80s movies. I think there's just, you know, a transition period between decades. But this was your first time seeing this, right? Surprisingly, yes. But before I've seen this film, I've I've heard of it, of course. I have a very... um, a very old memory. See, I my parents used to record uh, movies off television onto VHS all the time in the 90s. And they recorded for me. Was it Last Flight? The Last Starfighter? Is that what it is? That is a movie. That is a movie. It's a film. It is It is a sci-fi, probably a Star Wars knockoff from like the, the, the 1980s starring uh, Lance Guest and Robert Preston or whatever. But on that cassette that I have, there are multiple commercials for um, various films that were playing at the time because I believe it was like around fall and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow was on there. So I have like this memory when I think about recorded shit on VHS tapes of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, like the, the fucking announcer guy saying the name. Yeah, I think that's true for so many people like. I first saw this movie in probably the early 2000s or late 90s on a bootleg DVD. And at the time, it was kind of an impossible film to see. But everybody had these hazy memories of either having seen it or seen a commercial for it or something in the 80s and kind of forgetting the details, but the image of the scarecrow was like seared into everyone's brains um and i really like that about the the lore of this film i guess and of course now you can watch it everywhere but um the vhs tape is very rare and so it used to be a very hard film to see and people could just rely on yeah their hazy memories so anyway because you had kind of heard of it and it remembered a trailer was the movie what you expected no, this movie, uh, I feel, subverts some expectations on a few a few levels, which is welcome. You know, we always appreciate that on here. I mean, I might as well put my cards on the table now. I, I think this is probably the best made for TV movie of all time. 
and certainly the best made for TV horror film of all time. And um, I think the fact that they managed to cram this much like nuance into a made for TV horror flick is really astounding. I, I agree. This film, you could tell, doesn't have the best budget, but this shit just reeks of professionalism. Like uh, the actors are on point, the directing is on point. I think the script is like pretty fucking tight. I mean, you can maybe poke a couple holes in it, but this is this is a great watch. There's no downtime. Yeah, so this this story was originated with a guy named Butler Hancock, but it was actually written for the screen by J.D. Feigelson, I think. Um, (laughs) J.D. Feigelson. And Feigelson, I think, had to make some changes to his script just because of the budget constraints and like the fact that it was being made for TV and he had originally planned for it to be a theatrical film. Uh, but it was directed by Frank DeFelita, who I think was just kind of like a working man director. I, I don't I'm not sure he wrote a lot of movies. Uh, he directed eight of them. I've seen a few of them. They're all made for TV movies sort of in this vein. So I guess this was just his niche. But yeah, it's it's a beautifully directed film. One thing I want to add right up front is that I feel like as as someone who's not a parent, <laughs> I feel like this is a film you could actually watch, like a scary film you could watch with children. I think they would miss a lot of the nuance of the film. Oh, um, that's just kids, you know. And I think like the true horror of this film is insinuated and to really understand what's going on. I think you have to kind of understand Otis's um, motives fully, which I don't think a kid would, but I think a kid could watch this and um, not be scarred for life. We all have had this happen where there's a film from your childhood that you remember watching and then watching it as an adult or just even older, you real you notice all of the things that you missed as a kid because you didn't have the context. Yeah. You didn't have the life experience. So I think you can throw that to the side and actually show this to your kids on Halloween. You know, I watch this almost every Halloween and um, my wife has seen it, but she won't watch it. She when she saw that I was doing it for the podcast, she's like, why would you do this movie? Um, Because she thinks it's really effective, but she also finds it very disturbing and upsetting. And she just doesn't see any point in watching it, which I mean, I I understand that I, I get a lot of joy out of the pure craft and performances of this film, but I can understand not really wanting to subject yourself to the experience well the good thing is you know everything is pointless none of this matters (laughs) (laughs) but yeah let's let's look at the the meat and potatoes of this film right you have um our main characters who are absolute scumbags yep um it's not even up for debate they just all suck and we are basically watching them be tormented for hour and a half runtime by the spirit of the person they <laughs> lynched mob killed <laughs> under false pretenses. Yep. 
So that's there's nobody to really sympathize here with. In fact, I'd, I'd imagine if everybody you could sympathize with, only one of them makes it out unscathed. Which is interesting because normally I kind of need that in a movie. Like I need someone to identify with uh, and I don't get that here. But I think we kind of identify with Bubba and Mary Lee, at least at the beginning. And like we're mad that he's been killed. And I think we want to see him get revenge or we want to see these horrible assholes like defeated. But I also think that you can make up for some of that lack of identification with a really interesting, even if they're unlikable protagonist. And so like, I think Otis as despicable as he is, he's such an interesting, nuanced, well-acted character that I'm willing to go along with him, even if I hate him. A hundred percent. I would just hesitate to actually call this a horror film just because there's, there's nobody innocent being hunted and tortured here. I mean, nobody's innocent, but spe- specifically in this film, we are we would not be sad to see any of these characters bite the bullet in like the first 15 minutes of the film. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. I like to think of this more as of um, like a fantastical uh, rural revenge film. A morality play. Yes, a morality play. So we've been, we've been mentioning Otis and the performance, but the actor's name is Charles Durning. And he was actually known as the king of character actors because he was in so many small roles in big movies and TV shows. And, um, you know, he was that guy you never knew his name, but you knew he was a good actor. He was in 218 credits. So this is a definitely a real pro. Did you read at all about Charles Durning? No, mansplain it to me. This is a fascinating guy. So he was drafted into World War II at a really young age. He was shot in multiple parts of his body and almost killed. He was the only person to survive in his entire battalion. And over the course of the war, he won three Purple Hearts. Despite being injured by the bullets and such, uh, when he came back to the States and got out of the military, he started working in burlesque clubs as, um, I think, just like an usher sort of person. But while he was doing that, he was using the money to pay for dance school. And he became a professional dancer and eventually a dance instructor. Uh, and then he he eased into acting after that. That's incredible. Yeah, this guy has like a lot going on. You know, how badly do you have to get fucked up to get three purple hearts and yet still manage to become a fucking dancing savant? <laughs> right. And not being like physically damaged such that you couldn't do that anymore. Oh, I I I skipped the part where before he was uh, in burlesque houses, he started as a singer. He was the lead singer of a band. Hmm. But anyway, so he is, I think all of the actors in this movie are great, but I think he holds our attention pretty much whenever he's on screen. What did you think of Larry Drake, who plays Bubba, our mentally disabled character? 
He's not in the film for very long. No. No, maybe five minutes. I can't help but think of the line in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> you never go full retard. Whenever uh -huh. I see any any acting in, in these kinds of roles. And he didn't seem like he overacted it to me. No, I think he's I think he's fantastic. I think this is one of the most sympathetic and believable portrayals of a ment mentally disabled person by a normally abled person that I've seen. Yeah, well, my point was that he um, he did not violate that very important rule. Yeah. And he does come off as uh, just harmless with this little girl, which, of course, is the point, right? They need to set this guy up for disaster. Anyway, yeah, I think he's really impressive. And it, I think it does take a lot to not be distracted. It would be easy to come off as false in a role like this. And as a result, be either distracting or just ineffective. And that doesn't happen here. And I, I actually think it's really important, even though he's only in the film for a short amount of time, because he establishes our sympathy, right? He's the reason we care to begin with. We also care about the little girl being heartbroken that her, you know, big gentle giant friend is gone. And I thought they handled that really believably. Like when she sort of finds out that he's been killed, I, I thought her reactions and the way the adults responded to her were believable. I'm trying to think of exactly what his mother said. Um, you know, the, the little girl asks, you know, where is he? And... I believe she says something along the lines of he's somewhere where he can never get hurt again. Yeah, that is her first response. So it's uh, there's a lot of I can see why my wife wants to avoid watching this movie. There's there's a lot of strong stuff in it. Like this movie isn't graphically violent, but it is disturbing, I think. Even for a made for TV. Well, nowadays, made for TV films can have a lot of shit in them, but uh but in the 80s, I think this even probably got away with a little too with a little much. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a celebrated big deal or like well reviewed or anything like that when it came out. I think it just faded into obscurity. But now it's seen as a cult classic and like an important, well-made film. Let's play the trailer and then we'll get into the story. So because this did not come out in theaters, we do not have a traditional trailer. Instead, this is a, um, I believe it's a TV blurb from CBS for the world television premiere, October 24th, 1981. Tonight on the CBS Saturday Night Movies, this gentleman saved this little girl's life, but they accused him of harming her. Do this ourselves. And he was tragically murdered. Now, one by one, the men of this town are dying. Who is his avenger? Is it the dead man's grief-stricken mother? They killed my boy! The little girl who loved him. I know what you did to brother. Or could it be the scarecrow? Night of the Scarecrow coming up next. So I definitely want to mention the opening of this movie. We get credits right at the start with this really simple animated background of a windmill. I love this. I love movies that have animated credit sequences. Even if it's just this one image. This is something that is more common 
in like movies from the 70s and the 80s. So based on everything we've covered on this show, we've seen this shit before. I appreciate it. Um, it is it is a lost art form. You don't really see this sort of thing anymore. No, it's really unfortunate. But we also get our first taste of the music. And I think the music in this film is great. It's very like, it's classical and eerie and dramatic. There's lots of sharp violins and off-key piano. It sounds like it could have been influenced by the score for Psycho. I, I think it's really effective. Along with the atmospheric music, this movie has really great background noises. Like, there are a lot of scenes at night because Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Well, really, this should be called Dark Knights of the Scarecrow. He's, he's kind of around for a while. <laughs> yeah. But there's, like, cicadas in the background that really make you feel like you're there, man. Like, you get to hear all the bugs in the country. Did, did you see on IMDb that the director traveled to Texas just to record cicada noises for the movie? No, but I noticed. I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it, it is, a, I think, important aspect of the movie. Um, the, the music was done by Glenn Paxton, who didn't have a long career. He mostly worked on like TV shows and after-school specials. But I think, yeah, between his music and the natural sounds... It creates a very eerie atmosphere to this movie. And all of the night shots were actually shot during the night. So it it gives a, a real authentic feeling too. Oh yeah. No, no blue screen filters over these cameras. And and you know, so speaking of the beginning and the music, once we move past the credits, we see this opening image of Bubba, our 30-something-year-old mentally handicapped man playing with this little girl in a field. And we're supposed to think it's totally innocent. Like they're giving each other flowers and it seems a perfectly innocent moment, but the music tells us that like something's really wrong. It, it's really unnerving. And as a result, I think we're, we're set on guard right from the beginning, even though nothing bad is happening yet. There is a lot of ominous buildup, but it's because there's a lot of ominous shit that's going to happen. And it's here where we're introduced to our, well, can't call him protagonist, um, main character of the film, Otis. Yeah, Otis, our mailman. Oh, what? Did you notice he never wears Never, not else? a single time. <laughs> Yo, I need to ask you, is this movie slanderous to the post office? <laughs> I don't think so, but why do you think he only wears that uniform? Why do I think he wears it? Probably because they didn't want to have wardrobe come up with a bunch of different shit for him to wear. Why does he wear it in the film, though? Um, you know, okay, let's let's let, we can we can rationalize this. Uh, you know, there's the types of people who become married to their job, like they, it becomes a part of their core identity. I think that's this guy like, yeah, he's a U.S. postal uh, worker, right? And that's an important function of American society. But this guy walks around in his uniform like it really feels like the, 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 his presence when he walks onto a scene is like U.S. Postal Service. What's going on? Like, like he has some sort of government authority. <laughs> 
I think that's how he sees it. I think you're exactly right that Otis is the sort of person who wants to be in control and he wants to be respected. And as silly as the uniform is, that gives him a feeling of being official and respected by the community. He has a role in the community and people look up to him, right? Like that's how he thinks of it. Even though like his his shirt is too small. Like it, it, the buttons look like they might pop in the front. So it's like, he's outgrown this and everything, but he's still clinging on to this identity. I, I think it's, I don't know. The movie was shot in 18 days. It probably had a really low budget. I doubt they had much of a wardrobe either, but I do think it really fits his character, even though it's, it's funny. Like it made me laugh. But, you know, I mentioned earlier, um, about this film subverting expectations when did you first see this film like forever ago right yeah i mean i was a teenager all right so i don't know if this is gonna like if you're gonna agree because this was so long ago but when you first watched this film did you think this postal service guy was going to be the main character um i can't remember honestly um dude i just is so out of left field i did not expect the majority of this movie to be following that guy around like i thought it was going to be more about the little girl maybe about the guy i had no idea what this movie was about going into it do you think it would have been a better movie if it followed the little girl no no it would have been a more traditional film i like think if this was written by the numbers it would have followed her around but it, it was better this way yeah so the the mailman along with three of his friends are like really suspicious of Bubba and they think that he's doing inappropriate things with this little girl or at least that's what Otis says Otis has kind of suckered the other ones into sharing his dislike of Bubba and so they're suspicious right from the start and they want to say something to the authorities but Otis convinces them not to he's like let's wait until he really screws up so we have an opportunity to kill him they did mention that they have taught him a lesson before about playing with children, but mm-hmm. he just doesn't seem to remember it every time. So they don't know what to do about it. As far as I can tell, Mary Lee, the little girl, is literally the, literally the only child in town. Did doesn't you get she play? Doesn't she play hide and seek with some other kids at a party later on? Yeah, but the children. Oh, <laughs> So I think we see like two other ones at that party, but it's ostensibly a Halloween party, but we mostly see adults like drinking and dancing. We just see the kids playing the hide and seek game and then we never see any other kids again. And there's kind of a tug of war set up where both like Otis is jealous of the fact that Bubba gets to spend time with this little girl who's as far as we can tell the only little girl around so i guess i'm getting at that otis is has a otis is especially motivated out of jealousy i think of bubba yeah there's like nine or ten kids in this uh hide and seek scene so there are other kids in the town but you're right that otis specifically maybe pays a little bit too much attention to her is is that something you got the sense of from the beginning or did you slowly 
sort of come to the realization that he was a little too interested in Mary Lee. I was probably a little oblivious. I did not suspect that on any level until uh, Bubba's mom called him out on it. Yeah. About halfway through the film. And then I went, oh, of course. Yeah, it adds like a whole new dimension to what's been going on. And uh, it's a very intriguing like story development and aspect of this movie. I think it makes it fascinating. It, it really does put all the events leading up to the reveal into a very different perspective. Like it's already a fucked up perspective, but then, you know, it just gets a little lower. So let's talk about the scene where Mary Lee gets hurt that prompts like the action of the movie. She's she sneaks into somebody's backyard and Bubba won't follow her in because his mom has told him he's not allowed to do that. And she gets attacked by a dog. And so he bursts in to save her. But while the attack is going on, did you notice where the camera was? No. This really stood out to me on this viewing. The camera focuses on all of the faces of the many garden gnomes in this backyard as if they are watching a gladiatorial battle in the arena or something. It's very strange. It's a very. I wouldn't call this a battle, man. This would just be like feeding Christians to the lions. Well, regardless, we don't see any of the violence, which I guess makes sense for a made for TV movie. But instead of showing the violence, they show the gnome faces, which I just think is a really strange decision. I liked I it. I don't think it's that off. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't think it's that off because, again, this is a made for TV film and all of the actual acts of violence occur off screen or off frame or are implied every single one. But despite that, it really does not tarnish the film's effectiveness at all. No, I agree. It's just a weird moment that sort of caught me off guard. But at this point, everyone in the movie, or we at least, assume that the little girl has been killed. And that's what Otis thinks and his group of friends. And so they decide that even though the sheriff has asked for volunteers to come to the station, that they are going to take care of Bubba on their own. And these guys, when they are driving out on their truck and Otis is hanging off the edge of it, going after Bubba, they look ridiculous. Did it strike you that way? Like how dumb they look? Does it look dumb? Yeah, but that doesn't make it any less threatening. No, especially not at if all. You, especially if you are from the South and you have seen these kinds of people. This felt very genuine, like a very genuine roundup of vigilante justice, uninformed vigilante justice. I totally agree. I'm I'm not suggesting that it's not effective or believable. I'm just saying that I, I think part of the way I view a character like Otis is like, yeah, he's despicable and evil, but he's also pitiful. Like he's just a pitiful person. He lives in a boarding house with no family, wearing a mailman uniform all the time that's too small. And his version of like 
getting something done is to ride on the side of a police car to or ride on the side of a pickup truck with a pistol chasing a mentally disabled man like he's pitiful and it makes me laugh because it's so silly he is but why are you roping boarding houses into this (laughs) i think that i think that he is embarrassed that he lives there because he does he does not want the guys to ever come visit him there and part of that is because he doesn't want them seen together he thinks that's too suspicious but he also is like you will never come over here again under any circumstances for any reason and i'm pretty sure it's because he doesn't want them to see that he doesn't have a big farm the way they do i didn't consider that but you're right i think you're right yeah, I really think he's embarrassed about it, but it's it's a very subtle thing, um, and I might be reading too much into it. But anyway, so they go after Bubba. What did you think of the confrontation when they find him? Or let's start. What did you think of the confrontation with his mom at their house? I, ha- I have the film playing in the background on silent, and um, man, he's wearing the flower lay the whole time. Yeah. Oh, the little girl makes him a flower lay. Yeah. And he's wearing it the whole time. They're chasing him through the fucking wood swamp. And of course, he has an elderly single mother who's like dedicated her entire rest of her life of taking care of her mentally disabled son. They're really milking it here, man. I really like the mother character, though. She's she's like the most badass character in the movie, and she's the only one that can intimidate Otis that doesn't just like cave to his uh efforts at you know projecting authority oh she rejects his authority outright you are not the law get off my property yeah he's like this is official and she says the only thing official you've ever done is lick stamps (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a great comeback no disrespect to the men and women of the u.s postal service no no, this Otis is the one who has besmirched your name. But o- Otis clearly does not like confronting someone who won't follow his commands. Like you can just see it in his face. He does not know how to respond to Bubba's mom. But they use the dogs to to follow Bubba's scent. And Bubba has ran off through the the field, the pumpkin patch, and hidden inside of a scarecrow. And this has to be like one of the creepiest looking scarecrows I've ever seen. You know, I I think there is some kind of primal fear that can be invoked by by seeing just a burlap sack where you cannot see what's under it. It's like that masked figure. Yeah, that's that's close enough to human, but you can't be sure because you can't see beneath the, the surface. And in this case, the eye and mouth holes are like sort of torn and droopy. And so it looks like it looks like a very disturbed, sad scarecrow face. It doesn't have any like face drawn on it. So it there's nothing to give you a sense of comfort or humanity. It's just it- cold emptiness it has the shape of a human but when you look at the mask the eyes and mouth are symmetrical with no nose 
and so there's just this slight uncanny valley feeling to looking at scarecrows like this that i mean it's not just this one but it makes it very effective and a very um a very i would say iconic halloween like just horror figure in general yeah you know this so the scarecrow image is going to become like our avenger you know our our symbol of justice but it's not a comforting justice like the the concept of justice in this movie is uh is really sad and depressing i was gonna say informal but yeah sad and depressing yeah it's like nothing good comes about because of any of this but when the men realize that Bubba is inside of the scarecrow, they assassinate him, led by Otis. Like, I don't think if, if Otis hadn't shot first, I don't think the other ones would have shot. No, nah, this is definitely a case of uh, mob mentality, blind leading the blind. And this Why? is like the worst person you could have at the, the head. Why do you think they follow him? Because he's official. He's wearing a uniform. He's clearly the most educated. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And I guess he's just willing to assert himself. Like, he's one of those people who acts like he's in control the moment he walks into a room. And so unless there's someone there to question it, he's just going to be in control. But once they've killed him, the report comes in over the walkie-talkie that it was all a mistake. The little girl is all right. She was attacked by a dog, not Bubba. In fact, Bubba saved her life. And you can see how stunned these guys are. Like, they do not know how to process this information. Again, if this was a by-the-numbers film, I think this scene would have involved them hiding the body, and that would have been it. The rest of the film would have continued as normal. Yeah, I did. I did not expect for the the next scene to happen, which is they actually somehow turn themselves in, but not without first putting a pitchfork into Bubba's hands to make it seem like he was armed and they had no choice but to defend themselves. Which is like laughable. They just sort of lean it up on him. And he's kind of attached to the, the pole behind him. There might have been a little bit more setup here to make it look believable. But, yeah. you know, they got to go for the artistic shot, man. You got like Bubba Scarecrow up here on the cross dying they, for these farmer sins. When they put that um, pitchfork on him, the the wind comes this wind comes blowing and we see the scarecrow swaying back and forth and like the corn stalks swaying. It's a very eerie scene. It's extremely effective. But yeah, it's followed by a trial. What'd you think of the trial? Well, somehow it's not the most ridiculous trial we've covered in these films, but it's pretty, it's pretty uh, fast and loose. I mean, it's pretty much a pre-trial hearing to like the judges hearing whether the prosecutor has evidence to charge them with murder. And he basically rules that 
he they don't have any evidence because they don't know what really happened there. But there's also the insinuation that like these guys are upstanding members of the community. Like we can't put them in jail and everyone rallies around their defense. Yeah, because they had such a reputation in the city that they well, city in in the town, they must be trustworthy. They had no reason to lie, right? Right. And and honestly, probably every every man in the town probably thought Bubba had done it. So I'm sure every other man was like, well, that could be me. That could be my daughter. Yeah. But as as you know, they're leaving the room, they have to pull Bubba's mom away because she's screaming. And she says there's other kinds of justice in this world aside the law. And when she says that, it creeps Otis out. Like you can see that he's affected. It's because he know he done fucked up. Yeah. He I'm telling you, this is this is a fantastic acting performance because I can follow all of his thoughts and feelings. Like I have such a, a sense of who this person is. Did you notice that when the scarecrow got, starts to get its revenge, that it gets revenge uh, in the opposite order of who shot it? No, I did not notice that. I had never noticed it until this movie. And so I was thinking about like, why would they do that? Why would they go in the reverse order? And so I thought, well, maybe it's to make Otis suffer the most because it's really Otis's fault. And as Otis has to watch his friends die one by one and slowly come to believe that like this craziness of a killer scarecrow might be for real, that's the extra punishment for him. I mean, you got to save Otis for last because a movie, right? Yeah, but it does, it, it's still consistent with the themes of the characters, I think. But yeah, you know, I was already crafting in my head uh, as I watched this film what order they would be taken out in. And honestly, I thought the mechanic was going to go first, <laughs> followed by the grain guy. No, the that guy is, who... That is, I was completely off. The guy who goes first, his name is Harless. And I, rec- I, I always recognize this guy as the prosecuting attorney in My Cousin Vinny. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of him from. I so also think of him from uh, the the tales of uh, Lois and Clark. This the that um, <laughs> Superman soap opera TV series that was on in like the mid nineties. He played uh, he played the head of the newspaper. Oh, I never saw that. I never watched that show. It was oh. awful. <laughs> I'm talking about the one that stars Dean Cain. Yeah, I I mean I remember it's a, it's be it being a thing, but I, I yeah, I never watched it. So Harless goes out first, but in some ways he's the least guilty of all of them. He's the only one that as they go along, he tries to like talk them out of things or at least make them second guess it. He's also the one who has the greatest sense of guilt, at least that we see. Scarecrow does not care. No. He goes first. So you want to talk about how each of these guys goes? Yeah. You know, in a movie called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, your your first your expectation is that you're going to see a scarecrow walk around 
and murder people with various farm instruments. That is not what happens. No, we see we do not see what happens in any of the deaths clearly, which did you like how ambivalent it was? How mysterious, I guess. With the first death, I was starting to question of whether there was a scarecrow's curse at all and whether these guys were just going to be dying in various accidents. Yeah. As like some part of bizarre, some bizarre folklore in, in in like work in progress. But there is some sort of ominous force that is systematically picking them off. It's just doing so in a not rustic way. Like it's like kind of like force pushing people into farm instruments. So you think there is a supernatural force then for sure. You don't think that each of these guys were just driven to death by their own paranoia and guilt. Well, I definitely think that they certainly didn't help the situation by being extremely paranoid and not acting in their best interest. For all we know, the best thing they could have done was leave town and then maybe the scarecrows reach influence wouldn't have been able to catch them but uh they get they get overconfident or maybe they just don't think about leaving because otis doesn't want to leave a big part of this film is otis trying to convince the rest of the gang that look we just have to lay low play cool and stay here and everything will be fine because i think deep down even though he was cool after the trial to the prosecutor he is convinced that if he continues to bring attention to himself or if the gang continues to bring attention to themselves they will somehow find evidence or make someone crack to say something that could land them all in prison for life yeah i think he's most worried about somebody else cracking and the one person the one member of the group um i think it's skeeter is uh he gets the idea to run. He's like, oh, well, my cousin or someone owns a, a cabin up in the mountains and like maybe I could, there's no one around for miles. But before he can finish that uh, question, Otis gets him. Man, every death is tragic. So let's go back to Harless's death. Right. So Harless, when we're introduced to him, you know, he's your traditional farmer of the four and he is putting wood into a wood chipper bro the the moment i saw this scene i knew someone's going into that wood chipper yeah i'm not it's it's a wood chipper but he's using it to um like break up i forget what they call it like a rush tiller or something anyway it's essentially a wood chipper so yeah it's a wood chipper man you put you put something in there and it comes out and shreds on the other side the what starts everything with Harless and what starts the paranoia of the whole group is he suddenly sees the scarecrow in his field. And that's what makes him start acting all paranoid in the first place, which is arguably his undoing. So when we say the scarecrow, it's not the scarecrow because that's probably been confiscated for evidence by law enforcement, even though this is a small town. Um, they actually, I think, go through great lengths to show that they are within a county that has a greater like municipal governmental presence 
because there's like a prosecutor who knows what the fuck he's doing. There's like ambulances, there's fire departments, there's whatever, you know, this isn't total backwoods. This is just like the rural part of a county. Yeah, it's just like a small town. So, so Harless sees this scarecrow, right? And it's wearing like similar clothes and whatever. And he thinks that someone's trying to get to him. And and Otis is able to convince him with an eye look that it must be the district attorney, the prosecutor, trying to rattle them. And so when Harless is wandering around in his barn above his wood chipper late at night, and he hears this rustling and moving around him, he thinks it's the prosecutor whose name is Sam. So he starts calling out Sam, but of course it's, it's not Sam or it's nobody that we see. He just loses his balance and uh, falls into the grinder. Well, he starts to walk towards a chest or something in the top of his barn on the uh-huh. upper level. And when he's about to investigate it is when he is suddenly seemingly pushed by nothing over the edge and he tries to catch himself on a swinging overhead like incandescent bulb lamp and uh it does not work that can't support your weight i will say this entire scene is really tense and creepy like the noises in the dark and the the set is all i think perfect um and the death is horrifying Uh, it's just a very effective scene. And Harless was the one that I was the most sympathetic towards. I think he's also the potentially the biggest name actor in the film. Uh, I mean, he's the only one that I really recognize from other things. Um, Although, again, the guy who plays Otis was in a ton of shit. Yeah. So this makes them all more paranoid and terrified and the you know otis is convinced that this it's nothing it was just an accident you know he was drinking around the bar and he fell but the other two say well if it was an accident who turned the machine off and that's actually a pretty clever observation i thought considering everything else they've done so far that's the smartest thing they've said all movie yeah and so they go to see if it has any gas in it because Otis says, well, it just ran out of gas, but it's full. And so now they know that someone turned it on and somebody turned it off. And I also think that all of these confirmations that something is going on undermine Otis's authority. And so I think he's becoming increasingly nervous because he's actually scared there is something coming after them but he's also scared because the status quo is changing he's losing control of these guys which means they might go to the cops this paranoia really plays into um philby's death who's next up on the chopping block he's the bigger guy who uh, probably hasn't exercised since high school but man is is he fucking jogging during that chase scene when they're going after bubba with the dogs yeah, oh, we're introduced to him as he's loading uh, grain into a grain silo. Him and his uh, probably his underlings, and so he is caught unawares at night while he is checking out the grain silo. He gets scared 
because he believes somebody might be watching him in the dark. So he decides in his infinite wisdom to lock himself inside the grain silo. This was a terrible decision. <laughs> this was the worst possible thing you could have done. We don't and- see what's coming after him, but assuming it's a scarecrow, you can outrun that. There's no way straw is running faster than you. Yo, this isn't just straw. It's like spectrally infused straw. All right. Well, I would have run rather than locked myself in the silo. Right. As And I realistically, I think anybody that works at a green silo, the last place you'd want to be is inside a green silo. <laughs> I used to I used to live in a, a really old farmhouse on like big farmland and all of that. And we had a silo and it, it had no top anymore because it had long since been used as a, you know, it had, it had been a long time since it was used as a silo. And so it just had no top. And that's where all the pigeons lived. It was like a pig, pigeon aviary. But anyway, no, I, I think that they're um, inherently claustrophobic and scary. But assuming you were to lock yourself in one and the grain started to pour down, do you think that the way he gets buried, like, do you think that's the way it would really be? Yes, absolutely. Um, In fact, there, I don't know if it's like this anymore, but I want to say maybe five, 10 years ago, I read um, a really interesting article about how there are a lot of deaths due to uh, professional neglect in the farm industry from farmhands dying in silos in various ways. And one of them primarily was suffocation. And it's not even necessarily the grain itself. It's the particles that they release as the grain is dropped that can get stuck in your lungs. And it's also a huge fire hazard that grain dust in general can be extremely flammable and light the entire silo up. So you were having in the country a bunch of like 15 to 17 year olds who were working on farms through high school dying because farmers weren't following OSHA recommendations for for worker safety. Um, I don't know if that's as big of a thing anymore, but about like a decade ago, that was happening. I want to think that you could like kind of swim upwards as it comes down. No, but I guess it would like suck you in like quicksand. I mean, it's kind of like trying to swim through sand. You can't really. Plus, you know, it weighs. Right. Substantially. So. So do you think that you'd suffocate first or be crushed first? I think you would suffocate first. Yeah. I mean, OK, with, especially with the amount of grain that falls in there. I mean, for probably for safety reasons, they don't fill the whole freaking silo up. We can see like uh, Philby's hand just kind of sticking up from the wrist, like just uh-huh. barely reaching for for safety. But yeah, he does not make it. I thought this was the most disturbing death in the movie. Really? This is like the only one that happens on like a frequent basis. This is the one that. I feel like it would take the longest for you to die. Well, the longest, yeah, but it definitely seems more pleasant than the wood chipper, especially if you're falling in feet first. Pro tip, if you fall into a wood chipper, like we better do a swan dive. So we need to take uh, a step away from the killings for a second and talk about the Halloween party scene. I love this scene, right? Oh, it's yeah, a- no, this is great. 
it's a it's a Halloween party. There's bobbing for apples. There's hide and go seek. And the scariest thing in the room is Otis spying on the kids. He's looking through a window and on the window, there's like a cartoonish skull taped to the glass and he's looking through the eye holes briefly. Do you think that there's a large number of people in the town who suspect that he's a pedophile? I I really considered that once it's kind of revealed. I can't remember. Was did the mom call did Bubba's mom call him out before or after this party? I think before. it was before. It was before. Yeah, so which really puts this this scene in a whole new light or in a completely different light, I should say. I mean, obviously, this man is kind of kind of giving off vibes already, but I did not get pedophilia vibes until she said something. And then the following scene comes about. But this is a small town. Like if Bubba's mom is aware of this, surely other people are aware of it. Maybe just the women are aware of it because, you know, the, the gang never mentioned it or at least they don't even seem to have a problem with it. Because I'd imagine if Harless knew then Harless would have called this guy out on his bullshit like the very start of this movie. So I've got a, a hypothesis. Oh, right. But Let's hear it. It, it might be me writing too much into the movie. We do that all the time. Don't let that stop you. So during this scene, we also find out that Otis doesn't drink because he goes up to the punch table and the woman starts to pour him like a spiked punch. And then she says, oh, I forgot you don't drink. She says very it judgmental. Yeah, very judgmentally, very like, like there's something, there's some backstory here. So what I think is that he had problems with alcohol in the past and maybe he was married or maybe he was dating somebody and they got exposed to his violent side, maybe even became aware of his predilection for children and left him. And that's how he ended up living in the boarding house and now no longer drinking. And so all of the women in the town who know and talk with his ex-wife, they know what's up because they hear all the stories from her. I'm loving your theory and I totally believe it. That is now, that is exactly what this movie is about now. That is Otis's backstory. That said, I am pretty sure I'm pulling up the historical record just to make sure that when we see him in the boarding house for the first time, that he has a flask on him. Yeah, he does. He does. So he does drink. He just can't do so publicly. Right. Yep. So, but, hey, man, he's got that postal uniform on. Right. And this every is not- scene. He is at the party. And that's his costume. He's he is postal service. Even when he goes to dig up a grave or goes like <laughs> running through the woods at night, he's when they go to inspect whether the machine has gas in it or not, he's even wearing his hat, you know, his like little bucket hat thing. He's very official. It's incredible. Um, I really admired the, <laughs> the consistency in his character. And it feels like the same exact uniform. Like, I don't think this guy has like five uniforms in a closet somewhere. This is it. This is what he's got. And it looks gross. Like, it always looks dirty. Everybody in this movie looks... Well, I would say everybody. Otis and Philby in particular look gross. Philby because it's hot as 
fuck outside and he's sweating constantly <laughs> in the same shirt no less and then otis probably for the same reasons except he's driving around in the truck all day that shit's got to be hot right but at least at least the other three characters like work outside like they're farmers he just drives like i can imagine being all hot and sweaty which makes wearing the same uniform all the time especially disgusting but his is also like dirty it doesn't fit properly he's doing things like kneeling down in the mud at night with it on but during this scene he catches mary lee out in the hallway and he says like i'm not gonna hurt you don't be afraid of me i'm the mailman nobody's afraid of the mailman i actually found that like really sick and twisted and disturbing (laughs) especially when you say it like that (laughs) and what really accentuates the the creep factor more is that she's dressed like an adult for her halloween costume yeah she dressed up like her mom which is weird mom or no wait wait she doesn't confirm that right because he's like i'm gonna guess your costume you're a mom. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, but no, I think I remember Clint Howard saying an almost identical line in The Ice Cream Man. He says something like, don't be afraid of me. Nobody's afraid of The Ice Cream Man. But like in Ice Cream Man, it comes off as a weird joke because that whole movie comes off as a joke. <laughs> but but this movie in this movie it genuinely comes across as that is what he thinks that by being a mailman like a trusted position he can get away with coming on to this little girl this man's acting performance sells this scene so hard yeah it's not it, just his voice like he you know he bends over puts his hands on his thighs to like balance himself to put himself at eye level with her be like hey you know let's try to build a connection here shame fucking having it it's so believable it's it's exactly how someone in this situation i think would behave and i just get the sense by looking at him and like his expression that this is uncontrollable that and this is not justification for his behavior it's he behaves like an addict who cannot fight his addiction anymore that's the sense i get from him Hmm. but yeah i think this whole scene this whole halloween scene is fantastic both because it's halloween and like i just like having a halloween movie but also because i i genuinely think we we learn a lot about otis and it's very effectively done Let's talk about the scene where Otis confronts or catches uh, Bubba's mom alone in her house. Because at this point, he's convinced that it's either her or the little girl who's doing the the killings or trying to scare them at the very least. Um, Can you imagine little Mary Lee walking through the cornfield, dragging a giant ass scarecrow behind her? No, like but these firemans carrying a scarecrow through the cornfield. <laughs> but but Otis seems to genuinely think she might be the one doing it. Man, Otis don't have a clue what the fuck's going on. No, um, I could I could reasonably see suspecting 
Bubba's mom of concocting some kind of plan to fuck with them. Like I could totally see that. I can, and I considered that as a possible option until Otis can like seriously considered it. And at that point I knew it was out because there's no way this man could be right about anything. <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene from beginning to end where Otis is, he starts by hiding behind her chair. And when she sits down, he reaches around and grabs her over the mouth from there until the end of the scene. This this scene is as effective as anything Hitchcock ever filmed. Like, this is just a masterclass in suspense, I think. I knew he was going to kill her. I did not expect she was going to go out from a heart attack, though. But again, this movie subverts expectations around like every corner. And I, I really welcome it. And I think it's realistic. Like, I don't think I don't think he had it in him to actually intentionally kill her. That's why it's an accident. Like, there's no way she is too confident and too confrontational with him. There's no way he would actually overpower her. I think he's too intimidated by her. But yeah, he clamps his hand over her mouth and she ends up having a heart attack or, or suffocating, I guess. Um, and without realizing it. Yeah, she has a heart attack. I think she's I don't think she's scared because of him. She was just given a fright in general because there's a stranger in her house and that just got the ball rolling. If and she knew it was him, you know, she would have got out of that chair and beat his ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause she has no respect for him whatsoever, but he, he panics and goes to run out. And then the tea kettle whistle goes off and makes him jump and made me jump too, even though I've seen this before. And I thought that was, just it's very skillful this man is just this walking ball of overconfident hubris and he makes all of these shitty decisions the entire film but then in this one moment after leaving his grubby fingerprints all over the house he has the sudden epiphany to make this shit look like an accident and I know that this film probably didn't have the biggest budget, but I did not expect them to have enough budget to blow a fucking house up. Do you think they really blew a house up? Well, they at least had enough to make an explosion. Yeah. I don't think they blew up this house. No, it doesn't. This is the only part of the film where I, I thought that it was kind of let down by its budget because we definitely see an explosion, but it does not look like a house exploding. It, it it looks like a much smaller explosion. But hey, pyrotechnics are still pyrotechnics. So yeah, yeah he it, uh, man, I don't, I don't even. I think we maybe even skipped it. Once he knows the key, the the tea kettle going off, he realizes it's on a gas stove. So he turns the flame off, lets the gas go, and Grandma or wow, Grandma Bubba's mother has a fireplace going on in the living room, which the gas eventually hits and blows up what is supposed to be a house it, they at least blew up something that had wood in it all right yeah it's it's still a really effective scene and it can be, we see the da and the inspector talking and um the inspector at least is convinced that it was an accident so i guess uh he's like old people leave their gas on all the time it's actually extremely hard to prove arson um 
there's not really a set science into trying to figure out where a fire started and how it could have in a building it's almost impossible most of the time unless it happens to be put out to the point where some of the structure can be saved just a pro tip in case you plan on defrauding your insurance company i i I mean i've always imagined that that would be the smart way to try to cover up a crime yeah that's how you're gonna say that's a really smart thing to defraud your insurance. No, <laughs> no, I I do not have any resources with which to challenge my giant insurance company. Well, hey, here in Florida, they're all going bankrupt. <laughs> Indeed, regardless yeah. of fraud. I'm uh, I'm glad you made it through the hurricane. Is it? Do you? Does it start to feel like fall to you at all? Even though you're in Florida. No, the trees never change color. There are people that put pumpkins out starting in September. That's great. I will say that the night immediately following the storm leaving my area, it dropped to about 60 degrees with like cold, brisk wind. And I've maybe spent like two hours just walking outside enjoying it because that's the closest I'm going to get to fall in this fucking state. It felt like wet fall. The The weather just started to change here and the leaves are just, just starting to change. And my wife and I decorated for Halloween yesterday. And so I'm, I'm ready. I'm in the fall spooky season. Like that's what I feel. That's my feeling now. So I'm, I'm excited. But anyway, let's get back to this movie. They are at this point convinced Skeeter and uh, what kind of name is Skeeter anyway? All of these names are weird, right? Uh, I mean, they're all country names. You think Skeeter's a country name? Well, Skeeter's more of a country nickname. Yeah. That might just be a nickname. But like Otis, you know, I've met people named Otis. What about Philby? No, I've never met a Philby. But I've never hey, met a Philby. You know, Leland isn't exactly a common name either. Maybe it's just like an older name from a generation past and we just don't see that name recycled as often. Yeah. Oh, I could see someone naming their kid Philby, like some fucking hipsters. <laughs> I don't think it's a terrible name. I no, just, and like Harless is fine. It's just old, right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, we're watching an old ass movie, so of course we're not going to have a problem with that. I wouldn't name my kid Skeeter, though. But anyway, Skeeter is um, Skeeter's probably the weakest willed of all of them, and he's ready to go into the police. Partly because he thinks it might actually be Bubba come back from the dead. And so Otis convinces him to go out to the cemetery with him and dig up the coffin and see if he's in there. It's the logical progression of what could be happening, right? Yeah. Although it's it's I actually really like the scene. I think it's really effective when they dig up the coffin and open it up. We see their reaction, but we never actually see into the coffin. But at least we know there's a body inside. Yeah, they do say there's a body inside, but that's after like two or three minutes of dialogue. So it it keeps the suspense going where you genuinely don't know. But Geeter is sure that he wants to go into the police and Otis can't have that. So this is the end of Skeeter. This is probably one of the more tragic deaths in the film because Skeeter, although he was willing to go to the police at first, at least has the 
biggest survival instinct where he wants to get out. He wants to get the fuck out, go to a relative's house in secluded Arkansas and just live out the rest of his days in isolation. I also but, think there's there's no way Skeeter would have participated if he wasn't pressured into it by the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but his, yeah, I guess this movie is about the dangers of peer pressure. It kind of. Hmm. Never let the postal service convince you <laughs> convince you to form a vigilante mob. I love the final like 10 minutes though because Otis is drinking, he's driving and swerving all over the road and he sees Mary Lee. So it's just him and her. He has his chance out in the middle of the woods. Do you think that Mary Lee understood that Otis that she would be good bait for Otis. At the Halloween party, she does drop a one-off line saying that Bubba told her what happened, what actually happened. And so we need to assume that Bubba and her have been communicating for at least some amount of time since uh, since his passing. And I want to think I want to say that Bubba perhaps got her to stand out there to get his attention. But as far as why that would work, I don't think she needs to know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I think there's two possible interpretations of like how she got out there. One is that Bubba put it up, put her up to it, that Bubba is really a supernatural entity and he's making this grand plan and telling her to lead Otis out to him. I don't really believe that interpretation because I don't think Bubba would plan anything like this um, or even be clever enough to plan it. Really? I think it's Mary Lee's doing, and I'm not even, I'm not even sure the movie wants us to believe that Bubba is real, that he's not just something imaginary. All right. Now I think you're reaching here. You mean Bubba, Wait, wait, you mean Bubba imaginary as in his pre his presence after death? Right, yeah. So then how would you explain, say, a bulldozer turning on by itself, a wood chipper turning on by itself? Because the little girl is fucked off by the time these things have happened. Well, we only see things from the, like in this scene at the end, we only see things from the perspective of Otis who's like drunk and delirious and paranoid. So I don't really trust him as a witness, right? I could imagine him imagining all of this. But with that said, like the, I think we should take the, accept the movie as it is and like at face value and say that there is a, a bulldozer who that is somehow um, powering itself on chasing after him and or being driven by a scarecrow we can't see. Um, I'm just saying that I like the movie. I like that the movie's somewhat ambiguous, that it, it's not really clear, I don't think, what's supernatural, what's in these guys' imagination, what Mary Lee is doing, what the mom is doing. Like I think it it wants us to wants the, all that to stay a little open-ended. So regardless of why you believe the little girl is out in the middle of the road in the middle of the night wearing only her sleepwear, 
the rest of the scene plays out with Otis chasing her through the woods into a pumpkin patch where she manages to get away as a bulldozer seemingly autonomously turns itself on and you actually get a shot of the cockpit um, with the levers moving around by themselves. It's pretty cool. And then he, to this actor's credit, I think he performs his own stunt work here where he is actually running from this bulldozer through the pumpkin patch. It's Halloween, so we get to see a bunch of pumpkins get run over. It's cool. Yeah, so he he did do some of his own stunt work here. There was a stunt double for a couple of scenes, but mostly he did it himself. And you would think, all right, man, well, he's going to get run over by a bulldozer and that'll be it. Bam, expectation subverted. He runs belly first into the pitchfork of a scarecrow propped up in the middle of the field. Yeah, I actually really like this because I don't I don't buy that you could get run over by a bulldozer going that speed. I kept thinking, why does he just turn away? But he's clearly far enough in front of it that it's not going to get him. Instead, he runs into the pitchfork, which makes so much more sense to me. And yeah. is so much and is is much more thematically satisfying. This guy is running like <laughs> like from the like the school of Prometheus. Yeah. Invasion. <laughs> but we do see I love this whole scene. I love the pumpkin patch. More horror movies should be set in pumpkin patches. And I I love the image where the bulldozer's lights turn off. And we see everything cast in shadow. I think it's so beautifully done. And then we see Mary Lee looking up as a scarecrow comes over to her. And we see it hand her a flower. And she says, thank you, Bubba. Tomorrow, I'll teach you a new game, the chasing game. How do you think we're supposed to interpret this? The vengeful spirit of Bubba came back and obliterated this vigilante team that i i think that might be the easiest way to interpret this film but i feel like that is the most accurate i i think and, the fact okay. so and I, and I know your argument is that you know bubba wasn't exactly all there in life how could he set this kind of plan in motion maybe he's no longer held back by the his fucked up brain chemicals and now he's free to do whatever he wants maybe but i think the fact that mary lee says tomorrow i'll teach you a new game the chasing game and by the way they called the thing where he stayed in the scarecrow the hiding game so that led me to believe that assuming he really is real and he's a supernatural entity mary lee is still calling the shots she's the one telling him what to do and I think the implication is she planned most of this. Hmm. But I don't know. I honestly don't care in this movie. Like, there are movies where I care about debating, like, what happened and how believable is it? I don't think that's the point to this movie. Now that we've reached the point of justice and Otis is no more, let's get to final thoughts and a rating out of four. All right, so again, I went in with, with no expectations, had no idea what this movie was about. I assumed I was going to be walking into a traditional Halloween slasher film featuring some guy in a scarecrow co costume picking people off with various farm tools. And um, 
I was very pleasantly, not that I would have had a problem with that, but I was very pleasantly surprised to be treated to a completely different movie. All I knew ahead of time is that this was a made for TV film. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a stigma that comes with made for TV. You know, let's just throw that out there. I mean, we here on video store nightmares tend to be very non-judgmental <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> but you know, we're open. You know, we watch, we watch a lot of things uh, that are shot on video, for example, and, and we are very open-minded about different mediums, except for, I guess, found footage, right? Fuck found footage. For the most part, yeah. yeah. I can't deal with that. It's so hard to find a good found footage film. Uh, don't add us. Anyway, um, so made for TV, right? I, I have to agree that, you know, I am not... I'm not a made-for-TV film savant. Um, I do not go out of my way to watch made-for-TV films. And that's maybe a little bit of that is prejudice. I was going to say it's not prejudice, but maybe it's a little bit prejudice. But I'm, I am tentatively on Luke's side that this is probably the greatest <laughs> made-for-TV film of all time. Uh, probably because it wasn't even originally meant for television. But they made it work. They made it work in content and script and in more importantly budget um this does not feel like a movie that's overreaching for the most part okay the house explosion is a little lame but um i have no complaints this is a great film um if you haven't seen it you should definitely go out of your way to watch it especially since it's the right season it's that halloween season this is definitely more halloween than the pit i mean it's got that going for it even if I, it wasn't it i wasn't. figured I figured we'd get progressively more Halloween-ish. So that's how, I, that's how I've tried to sequence these. We have something more Halloween than this coming up? Oh, indeed, yes. All right, can't wait. But for, for what this film be, I'm, I think this is four stars. I, I'm surprised. I'm very surprised. My expectations were, like I've said like six, seven fucking times already, constantly uh, subverted. Um, I went in expecting a slasher film, got a completely different animal. I thought I had an idea of how the scarecrow was going to be picking people off. Completely changed that. Um, I think the only thing that that came to fruition that I figured was going to happen was all these, all four of these suckers were going to die, and that someone was going into the wood chipper. And outside of that, everything else was kind of like a surprise. Great script, great directing cool score very mood setting you know you're not singing this one in the shower but it is very distinctive uh well very effective score so yeah four stars i think this is a great film thank you very much luke all right yeah i love made for tv movies i do go out of my way to see them i even love like the 80s after school specials and I especially love stuff from this period like late 70s early 80s i just think the writing of made-for-TV movies from that period and the acting is so, so above par that I, I did. And they have a very unique feeling to them, which I really appreciate. It might be part nostalgia from like watching these kinds of movies on TV when I was a kid, but it's there. So I'm already favorable towards this film. But every time I watch this film, it gets more complex and more interesting. You know, I, I said earlier, my wife does not like to watch it. 
And I totally get that. It's a disturbing sort of downer of a film. But I can keep coming back to it for those for that interest for the nuance of the characters and especially otis as despicable as he is i think he's a really interesting um main character to follow uh because it's fascinating to see how he's reacting and changing and adapting and guiding events around him and i think that the movie is really effectively eerie i don't think it's scary because we're not really scared of the scarecrow like We want it to kill these people, but it is very eerie. The use of sound, the music, the shadows, the darkness of the scenes and effectiveness of the night shooting um, and the Halloween elements, like just seeing this action play out during the climax in a pumpkin patch is so satisfying to me. I find this movie quite powerful. I I kind of wish the final scene with where the scarecrow holds Mary Lee's hand. I kind of wish that scene wasn't in it. I, I wish there was even more ambivalence than there is. But I don't think it I don't think it's a detriment to the film. I just wouldn't have put it there. So this is a four star movie for me, too. It's traumatizing. Watch it with your kids. Yeah. It'll, yo, you can teach them about stranger danger. Point at Otis. Tell your kids, don't approach the U.S. Postal Service. I have a feeling even kids would like be put off by Otis. Like, I think that I think that sense that something was wrong, even if they were never told. <laughs> stranger danger. So next week, yeah, we're we're getting even more uh, closer to the the Halloween theme. We're watching the 1978 extremely low-budget film, The Varro Mission, which is also known as Teen Alien. This is a film that not a lot of people have seen, but it's about a group of teenagers who are uh, restoring this old mill into a haunted attraction where like, the locals can come be scared in a haunted house. And then it just evolves from there. But I like this movie because it genuinely feels like a small town got together and made a Halloween movie. And I think that's really cool. So I'm excited to watch and talk about it. Um, Although, Leland, I don't have high hopes for you liking it. And I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Yes, you can find this on YouTube as Teen Alien 1978. And I'd imagine that if it's on here... You can find it elsewhere. Oh God, Teen Alien. Yeah, I have the uh, I have the the VHS called the Varo Mission from Trend Video, which was one of the many offshoots of Mogul. And I would I would love to know like the story behind this movie and how it made it to home video. But I'll do some research and see what I can find out before next week. So if you have not check out the Varo Mission, Teen Alien before next week and uh until then you can follow us on instagram at video.store.nightmares all right leland any final words thank you for your continued support beautiful
Ah, ah, ah.